Hello and welcome back, uh, dear listener, to this uh, podcast recording. Very exciting for us because uh, as well as you joining us, uh, we're joining us. All four of us are here. Uh, It's the first time uh, since, you know, the silly season over the year end that we've been able to arrange that. So uh, my name's Cameron. Looking forward to this discussion. G'day, Ken here. I love, Cam, your introduction to our, our dear listener. Um, it's a it's it's a quaint phrase. It's it's proper radio uh, protocol. Ah, okay. Yeah, that that is traditional radio communication. I've, I've often wondered from, and that's you know. Luke. Um, and I've often wondered, you know, <laughs> our dear listener. What about our cheap listener? Um, yeah. <laughs> in in light of our discussion this quarter about stewardship, I thought that might be yeah, yeah. worth worth thinking about. A cheap listener is not going to be worth <laughs> any money. So or or indeed, can our dear listener and our elk listener? <laughs> yeah, or our moose listener? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'd better jump in here. I'm Lachlan, and as you can see, the problem with four participants on this recording is it's hard to get a word in edgeways. <laughs> you say problem, I say feature. Yeah. Okay. Um, this week's uh, discussion is on laying up treasure in heaven, and I am more comfortable with this discussion. I, I kind of feel that this week's lesson would have made a good introduction to the, well, this week's and next week's discussion. The next two, I think, are, are fantastic. And I feel they would have made a really good introduction topic for the quarter. I think it it focuses our mind on the reason why we practice stewardship. Um, so this week we're talking about laying up treasure in heaven and next week, I believe, is talking about helping the poor. Um, the memory text, we're going to use the memory text that the SDA quarterly uses and then follow some of the Old Testament characters that it follows and um, and uh, discuss those characters and their relation to this memory text. So the memory text is from Mark chapter 8, verse 36. And I'll read it. Uh, For what will a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That is, the... yeah. I think you've really mm. got to start before that, though. All right. Well, give us the context. Uh, I'm Ken. sorry. Let, let's go with verse 34. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it." What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you've got to read that whole... There's, there's a number of thoughts in there this, that give it the context. My, my, my first thought, and apologies again for immediately leaping off the rails, is that this appears to be evidence for a discrete entity known as the soul. Mm. Oh, dear, dear. Thank you for that, Luke. We kept returning we to the discussion that. that we were. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners yes, can please go do and listen return to, to our... the actual discussion. Listeners can go and listen to our entire previous season and and discover the the truth and all answers therein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it seems to me that this is actually this in the context. This is very much a call to um, being prepared to sacrifice. The contrast between. Gaining the whole world, but losing one's soul, which is the contrast in the verses you read, Cam, the, mm. the pivotal verses that the Sabbath school lesson used as memory verse, um, is it 
is explained by those preceding verses because the the reason that it could be you could be faced with a choice is because the the path that leads to the retaining of a soul might be a path of sacrificial living um you know jesus is calling if you want to be my follower you must turn from your selfish ways take up your cross and follow me taking up your cross is a phrase that has always puzzled me it's in our christian lexicon but when you pause to ponder what it means it's quite difficult but it seems to me somewhat related to the idea of accepting hardship this of course you've got to remember that that concept is before jesus had been to the cross and indeed really as i recall it before he had even made clear that that was his destiny uh, so it, it is more puzzling for that in another this is another one of those sayings of jesus where i think it's sometimes helpful to look at it not as a call as you described at lachlan but simply as a description of how reality works um uh, so, uh, I mean, the reality is, in order to have one particular life, you have to give up another type of life. Uh, and uh, I think, Cam, you've, you've, hmm. if I'm going to understand, if I'm going to have a life of monogamous marriage, then it is necessary to give up um, a, a different life. Um, hmm. I can't bo have both of those lives together. Uh, and and I think often when we read Jesus' statements, we take them as commands when really all they're doing is expressing a, a fundamental truth about the human condition. We are the product mm. of our history and the choices that we make. Uh, yeah. And Every... the choices that we make bring about the life that we have. Um, uh, and it is that life and not others uh, which we... We, yeah. which we have it's 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 the nature of a time-bound um historical embodied human condition and and every single person is the person who's found what they think is a treasure in a field and has given everything up for it there's no one out there saying i think i'll try and get the least out of my life our choices are marred at times by our appetites and impulses and our limited knowledge of the future and all the rest of it. But by and large, people are trying at, to get the most out of life and any choice you make involves the sacrifice of all other options. So, um, yes, I agree with you there, Ken. Um, there is an element here of sacrifice, but it is not mutually exclusive in that statement. Uh, it's a really interesting phrasing. Uh, he, Christ in this statement does not, to my reading, say explicitly that it is not possible to gain all the world and have your soul intact at the same time. Hmm. He just says, Indeed. he just yeah. says, if you had to choose, which one would you choose? And I think the inference, I think there is an inference that we do have to choose, but he's... He's, it's a very soft way of asking the question. Yeah, okay. In that, one, with one, that of, in one mind, of the ideas... Go oh, Very quickly. One of the ideas that I've always associated with this particular phrase is, is, is the thought that there are many immoral ways to wealth and power. 
arguably all of the quick and easy ones involve, to put it bluntly, screwing other people over. That was um, quite blunt. <laughs> and and I think that's what I've always associated with the with the the losing your soul bit, right? Are mm. you willing to intentionally do something that is guaranteed to inflict suffering on other people who don't deserve it for your own material benefit? Hmm. If you are, you're losing your soul. Well, this that, that now it, there may be more to it than that. It's, that doesn't have. I mean, the, that doesn't necessarily bring into the element of sacrifice, which is is a part of it that I do wrestle with, um, because I don't necessarily see it as avoiding immoral behavior as a sacrifice. But maybe that's also the point that he's making. Yeah. Well, this is exactly the. I, I am now in a slight confusion, and and perhaps we can go and look at some of these Bible characters from early in the Old Testament that the lesson discusses, because it seems to me that a number of the features of their stories that the lesson draws out relate more to the sacrifice and have almost no no overlap with that idea, Luke, of the exploitation, the the decision not to advance myself by exploiting others um and and to be honest when i saw the title laying up treasure in heaven i th- assumed it was going to be talking about uh, the impact choosing to live a life of impact on other people uh, and that doesn't seem to be quite so much of a theme let's let's jump yeah. to the first yeah. one noah the first one is noah and it, if i'm reading it correctly it seems that the key element of the story of Noah that is drawn on here is his obedience in building a boat. Um, and, and in fact, obedience seems to be, seems to be one of the key themes here. Is obedience how we lay up treasure in heaven? I think, I think you're, uh, it's, if God has commanded us to lay up treasure in heaven and we try to do so, then we're being obedient. But this is obedience to a specific command. In terms of its relation to wealth, it's very enigmatic because, of course, this story ends with Noah <laughs> owning one-eighth of all the resources in the world. In fact, effectively owning all of them because he's the head of the family. So, <laughs> True. so Yes, and also his choice wasn't between saving up wealth in heaven and saving up material wealth. It was between staying alive and saving up material wealth. Mm. What it meant, I think... Mm. Uh, because if he hadn't built the ark in accordance with God's commands, he would have died with everyone else. I think I think <laughs> what the lesson is trying to say, in, and I'd, I'd defend it as far as it goes, is this. The story of Noah and the flood is a little microcosm f- for our lives. So... Um, Noah's experience obviously means something different if you include the section after the restoration. Um, but before the restoration, Noah is this weird countercultural figure who's living in a way that other people think is weird because he's preparing for something that other people think is never going to happen. And in a sense, in this life, we are Noah pre-flood. And uh. so... so what his life meant then at that time is in some sense a sacrifice. Oh, now that's interesting. But, that's a very interesting thought. Jesus himself, and, and this is what the New Testament also, 
um, goes on about. Uh, the New Testament also says that in the in the large scheme of things, when when the last card has been played and and the score is tallied up, um, in retrospect, no one will feel like they've sacrificed anything. Hmm. So may, maybe that's the sense in which Noah's relevant to this story. In terms of in terms of material wealth, there's and the use of, of financial resources, there's not a large amount of insight from the story of Noah, I, I, I don't think. Oh, except I have heard some Christians claim that the story of Noah is instruction that we all need to become wealthy enough to, to get boats. Ah. <laughs> I, it, was just, it was just occurring to me well, um, yeah. that, that uh, um, God told Noah to build a boat. Uh, well, I have a very similar experience, except my experience is an aeroplane. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I was going I to make the comment. To seeing how you save your extended family from the floods. With that. Yeah, it's <laughs> only got two seats, <laughs> <laughs> and there's no room. There, there, there's no Perhaps room for they could lie on top either, of the wings. Anyway. Yeah. Um, there's. There's, in terms of the material wealth, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but Luke told me that he hadn't heard it, so I'll share it now, and a listener will forgive me if they've heard it before. But um, this this anecdote relates to the distribution of wealth, you know, post-apocalypse. Um, Noah, of course, in financial terms and power and influence post the flood, was doing quite well. You know, he was it, um, as it were. Uh, my son came to me. Uh, recently and said to me um, he's six he said daddy uh, one day everyone in the world might die and I said I didn't know where it was going but I said uh, well yes I guess yeah, everyone in the world might die hmm and if everyone in the world dies then there will be someone who is the last person alive in the world and uh, I said yes, and he's, he he looked at me with a very intense look and said, "Daddy, that person could go into any Lego shop and take as much Lego as they wanted with zero money." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, true, it's true." That was clearly his his vision of heaven i think just just and, in that and, moment and, and of course it wouldn't be stealing because there was nobody you could pay the money to exactly that's mm. what that's what it worked yeah. out yeah i think what a yeah a very apocalyptic <laughs> so, lego view ob- i wonder how you would display somebody... that view in, in a brick exhibition um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> somebody angling to be the last living human. If, it's, if it's just your family left you better keep an eye yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear um all right well i find myself slightly convinced cam by what you were saying about noah and and well, the analogy that you drew b- so we've before we move look on from on... noah i have a quick question hmm. just um enlighten me again why was Noah being mentioned in this context by the lesson? That was not is not still clear to me. Um, Luke, I think it may be partly explained by this one sentence that's that's in the lesson. Um, after a bit of preamble, Noah could have spent his time and resources building a home for himself, but he chose to make a drastic change in his life and to spend 120 years of that life in following the call of God to build the ark. So. It's identifying in that this slight contrast between laying up 
treasures here or um you know gaining the whole gaining a, a fancy house only to lose everything in a flood yeah i think it, yeah i mean he, i mean that's that, okay, that's but... that's the very that that's the very point that's made in the lesson because the question yeah. is up what what principles can we find here for ourselves in a world that needs to be warned about impending well, doom well um, the hmm. trouble the trouble with that is you could say uh, one principle I'll extract from the story of Noah is if I follow God, not only will I end up with treasures in heaven, but I will end up with the whole world. <laughs> um, so well, and indeed, that's not inconsistent quite. with what Jesus taught. No, but Jesus uh, is inconsistent. Because, well, because the, he, he, you know, he, the disciples said to him, well, we've given up everything uh, to yeah. follow you. And uh, he said, well, yes, you have, but you're actually not going to miss out. Um yeah, well, I, I find Christ a little inconsistent on this issue because sometimes he says you have to take up your cross and follow him and then in the next breath he says my burden is easy and my yoke is light and come to me if you need rest. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Christ obviously had messages for different people at different times with different emphasis. He did obviously, though, mean something when he said we have to take up our cross and follow him. And, um, you know, there is perhaps something useful there in the story of Noah Um Maybe Abraham's a better fit. The next person is Abraham. Mm. Now, this is also a bit tricky because Abraham also ended up with a lot of wealth and a private army. I I hope, and forgive me for kind of jumping off the side again, I hope that's not actually what the lesson is subtly hinting at. No, I I don't believe it is. So I think that that that, that, that hues kind of towards uh, prosperity yeah yeah i i don't think the lesson does go in that direction at all it's it's focusing here on the very early phase of abram's life in fact the title of the monday lesson actually calls him abram not abraham further emphasizing this early phase of his life as being the point and it's similar in a way to the noah story in that it's focusing on the call of abram which was to leave his homeland his family his comfort zone everything that he knew and to go not even to a named destination to go to a land that god would show him and i think in doing so what the lesson is do is pulling out of this story is again this contrast between the the safe warm and comfortable and well-resourced experience of, of living at home with with all of the the things that Abraham, you know, I mean, there's an inheritance issue here by leaving. He's not inheriting from his family the the, the physical material wealth that, that he would be <coughs> normally in line for. And instead, he's choosing to follow God. So it's a it's a it's again identifying obedience and faith as being the the things that are building up that treasure in heaven. That's what it seems to me. Yeah. It's interesting here because they don't refer that I can see, except in passing, to the one story that I would uh, that I think is super relevant here, and that's when Abraham goes to rescue Lot, and his, you know, there there are kings <laughs> fighting kings and kidnapping kings and cities and 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 Abraham just walks in with his private army and saves the day, so it, he was he was a military and political force. To be reckoned with. And the, the part about that story that I, I think is relevant to this discussion is when he was offered um, financial 
payment reward for what he'd done. When the king of Sodom said, you can keep all the loot, he said, no, I can't, I can't touch a cent. I don't want you to say that you made me rich. Um, I didn't mm. do this for a favour. I didn't do it for the wealth. I did it just for my nephew Lot, and I thought it was the right thing to do. And um, and that puts an interesting complexion on, because what it seems to say is um, storing up treasure in heaven as opposed to here on earth is not about becoming a monk and living on a pole, unless that's what God asks you to do, and God asks different things of different people. But as a general rule, the sort of the owning nothing is not the only way. It's not the only mode in which God can use us. Um, mm. What what well, we can do every day is we can say, these resources that I have, which in Abraham's case at that point in time included a private army, uh, but the resources I have right now in this situation, how will I use them? Yeah. Um, well, what it seems to me, I've always liked that story of him refusing the spoils of the battle because he he did not want to be in debt to these people or or, or what that seemed to me to be a behavior that was acting on principles other than other than self-interest hmm. there is a way though that it can and and it's this this is one of those this just demonstrates the real difficulty of our human motivations uh, and and the way that we can find things for our benefit and say we're acting on principle. Because there's a way in which <laughs> refusing somebody else's generosity uh, can be the result of pride uh, on <laughs> our own part, the result of a need for... Uh, independence and not being willing to be vulnerable uh, to another. Uh, so you know th th there are. I've you look at that story and you can use it as a justification for this sort of. Uh, uh, I'm a proud. Um, proud's probably not the right word. Um, it could have uh, been. But I'm a, I'm a principled uh, uh, person. Um, and 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 I I don't uh, I'm I'm not swayed by the opinions of men um, of, of other people, mm. uh, and I'm not beholden to anybody um, but God Himself. And sometimes what we really end up meaning when we say that is I'm not beholden to anybody but me. I, I do see what you mean, Ken, and I think it's 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 definitely a tricky temptation. Um, Nonetheless, there is the right but, way but, of doing it, and I suspect Abraham's yeah. way was the right way of doing it. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, I think it's a fairly universal temptation as well. You, you see, I I've I've always had the um, understanding that the way that I was brought up to think about the Ten Commandments, for example. Um, emphasized uh, breaking of those commandments in a way that was was actually not a huge risk for someone raised in the church it was much more of a risk for someone raised outside of that context and that the actual most dangerous ways of breaking those commandments for a for an adventist were things that we didn't really talk or think about 
um, and the example that uh, is, is really evident is the taking of the Lord's name in vain. Because in Adventist church culture, particularly in Adventist church employment, you have the concept of being called. Yeah. Right? Mm. And everybody will say, I was called to do this, I was called to do that. Which says, it was God's decision that this happened. I was called to this fantastic position in the place that I wanted because I had worked behind the scenes on relationships and political machinations to make sure that people voted the right way so that I was called to this position that I wanted, (laughs) which has a great salary and a great situation for my family and is fantastic. I was called to it and I answered the call. It's not what I want, it's what God wants. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm going to pause with an insert there, uh, Luke. I agree wholeheartedly. That taking the norms, Lord's name in vain, um, the way easiest way to do that is to speak on behalf of someone else, and to express their wishes in a way that don't actually reflect their point of view. Well, so exactly. yeah, and this idea of um, I'll rely it was God's will. I listened to a podcast lock that you recommended uh, us to, which was a, a Christian financial advisor. Um, and giving, he does a podcast with financial advice, and he invited a friend of his who is a Muslim financial advisor. And they were talking about the interface between faith and finance. And his friend, whose name I've forgotten, describes a situation growing up where um, his family, as a child, his family was, was in bad financial troubles, and they prayed very hard, and God was going to deliver them from this. Um, and And to try and solve the financial crisis that, that they were in on their own strength would have shown a lack of faith. Mm. Um, and and what ended up happening was they lost their family <clears throat> home. It was a really hard time. And they had to work out what this meant. And what they concluded, and the faith community they were a part of concluded, was uh, maybe this is God's will, maybe he is testing us. Now, um, there's an element about this uh, in which um, it's God's will. We have to lay up treasure in heaven. We can't be seen to be doing anything on our own back to to make ourselves more financially secure or better able to absorb, you know, emergencies within our family financial situation or whatever else. This plays out in other situations not just in financial wealth. My wife has often been asked by people, when I say often, it's happened more than once, um, so it's not that often, but two or three times. <laughs> she's She's been asked, um, I want to learn to play the piano, but I don't want to become too good because that would be so selfish. I just want to become good enough to play for church. Because Yeah, that's a funny turn of phrase. Yeah, and and uh, your wife is, is a very kind person, Cameron. I'm sure she's never done this, but... The- immediate response that I would be tempted to give was, well, you definitely don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luke. Yeah. Um, but the point is that does overlap with some of the financial des- des- decisions we've had. You know, for me to actually work hard to become good at the piano so that um, other people clap when I play, that could be that could be selfish. Um, so I want to be sort of good but not too good. And in terms of finances... Obviously, we don't want to be at the point where we're relying on charity because then we're depleting the churches and other people's resources that they could be using to help other people. So, you know, uh, so obviously we need to be wealthy enough. We have to have enough treasure on earth that we're not a burden to other people. And Paul tells us this explicitly in 
Corinthians, I think, or is it Colossians? Um, so we need we need to be like savvy up to a point, but um, not past that point. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting observation here. Well, um, the 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 question then becomes from that. I, I I want to say by the way, I think that's a really good motivation. It is it is a good motivation. Um, it's just the the conceit inside of it that oh yeah I I can definitely learn piano good enough to be applauded. Uh, it's not one that I personally possess. I don't Man. think I I could work very hard at studying piano and not be in any danger whatsoever that uh, that I would win great plaudits yeah. and applause and fame. One of the um, one of the problems in it though is this idea of being just good enough to play for church. Has ne- never ha- haven't people ever sat in a church where something unusually special happens musically and been really blessed by it has, has is that not do these people who only want to be just good enough to play for church have yeah. they have they never had something extravagant done in worship music that's really touched them and the same is true from finances and and abraham's a good case he has these extraordinary resources and he, he goes out and does something really mm. good with them so he's yeah, he's generous with them, but he's certainly not shy about them or ashamed of them or like all of this. You're, you're totally right. All of this negative baggage that our faith communities, our faith cultures can sometimes inadvertently load us up with about things like finance, wealth, money, um, financial planning. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we have we have an episode where we'll talk a bit about about financial planning. And I, I suspect a couple more insights may may be relevant from from that particular podcast um the the thing and you mentioned it came i just want to reinforce it the thing that was for me so fascinating listening to that podcast was that one of the hosts was christian and speaking from a faith tradition that is close to ours and familiar the other was muslim and speaking from a faith tradition that's so easy to for us to assume is so different <laughs> their anecdotes were so overlapped yeah, so <laughs> not uni- not exclude not not yeah. universally overlapped but boy there was there was a lot of common well, ground and to that point cuz I, I don't remember which one of them said it could could have been either but i did really like the comment that there's really only three things you can do with money you can you can spend it now you can save it to spend later or you can give it away yeah yeah no that's the that's the host of that particular podcast and um it's a it's a little mantra that's incredibly simple yeah. and thus memorable and also quite profound and useful. And, I, and again, I think um, we, can, we can plan to come back yeah, yeah. to that. Like we've talked about this podcast enough that we should put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I will. I'll put a link to this episode. The, the podcast itself is called Meaningful Money, uh, but there was a particular episode that is the one we're talking about that was yeah. this conversation um, on the, yeah. Yeah, the ways that our faith communities now, and traditions impact our attitudes towards money um just before we move on and we need to move on because i'm eyeing the clock uh, a critic will point be able to point their finger at me um and with some justification say cameron you're just trying to defend the possibility of having wealth in this world because you're too worried about giving that dream up like i i i would like to be a little more financially secure than i am right now so if I read a, a verse that says I have to give everything away and take my cross and follow cross, it makes it, me uncomfortable. Guilty as charged. Um, my point is that the passages that have been pulled out by the lesson and the characters within the Bible are themselves just more nuanced. There are characters who have nothing that do great things for God. There are characters who have resources. 
who use those resources for God, it's it's not clear to me this idea of the treasure on earth and the treasure in heaven. In what sense are they mutually exclusive if they are mutually exclusive? And if they overlap, where does the overlap lie? And I I don't get a sense of clarity in... Okay, so here it is. It's time for the rant that I felt coming before we started recording. I don't think it needs to be a long one. But it bothers me that the stories from the Old Testament, from Genesis, that that we've focused on so far, at the recommendation of the lesson, they seem to be imagining this treasure in heaven as some kind of weird heavenly brownie points i mean in what sense is abraham laying up treasure in heaven just because he's left his father's homeland in response to this call from god it's not affecting anyone else's life it's not affecting the world it's not affecting anything except for a one-on-one individual accounting relationship moses sorry not moses abraham has has done an action which has earned him a special gold sticker, a star that's going to go onto his account. And so this treasure in heaven, and and it was just as bad with Noah because Noah's treasure that he's built up actually has had a negative impact on the world because all of the rest of the people in the story die. Um, And I know that it's often common to talk about Noah preaching and trying to encourage others to get onto the boat, but that certainly doesn't happen in the book of Genesis. And so the, the issue I have is that I am so sure that the treasure we are called to lay up in heaven, we alluded to this at the very start yeah. of this recording when we were looking at that memory verse in Mark 8. I'm so sure that the tre- treasure in heaven we are called to lay up is actually an impact on other people. And so far, there hasn't been a whole lot of that featured. And it doesn't get much better, by the way, if you're listening to this and haven't read the lesson and wondering where it goes. The remaining characters, which we probably don't have time to look at in detail, are Jacob and Moses. And in their cases also, the the treasure that they are building up in heaven, contrasting with what they with their, I guess, lost opportunity of wealth in the here and now, but the treasure is all about these brownie points with God. Yeah. Am I on an no, am I an outlier no, no, no. here feeling a bit Lock, irritated Lock, by it being this weird Here's the thing. <laughs> One of the thi- we we talk about laying up treasure in heaven. So there's a couple of things that we need to talk what what do we mean by heaven? What did Jesus mean by heaven? That's that's one question. I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to leave that out there for our listeners, for our dear listener to uh, to think about. Um, what 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 is meant by this concept of heaven? The second thing is the way that we use this phrase "laying up treasure in heaven" is not really to, the, the concept that we convey when we talk about laying up treasure in heaven. And this comes out with the question uh, that was asked about, you know, Noah. Um, uh, what did uh, what did he do? Uh, what principles we have here for a world that needs to be warned about impending doom? So. It's not that we're laying up treasures in heaven. What we are doing is we are laying up treasures to get us to heaven. Aha. Aha. That's, the, that's... that's how we are using that phrase. Um, All right. And... You've put your finger on exactly the element of it that was causing me discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the problem with it. Um, and, 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 and you're yeah, right you know, to if, sense if... that that's the way in which it's being used because yeah. that is... The, the 
underlying assumption that if we if we yeah. give up these things in this earth, we will get heaven and all of its rewards. Mm. And and that is, uh, you know, that is a very problematic way of using it because it, it simply becomes salvation by works. Can can I say this? Yeah. Um, the being in the universe with the most resources at their disposal is God. We are called to follow God uh, in the manner of Christ. Christ himself said, if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels. Um, he had the resources of heaven, the treasures of heaven at his fingertips. Should he want to use them? The question is not how much resources you have at your disposal. The question is, and I think the lesson properly directs us towards this sort of question. How are those resources going to be allocated? Now, that then creates a very difficult dilemma because there are two ways those resources can be allocated and I don't like to frame things in a binary way but there are two ways they can be they can be allocated in my own self-interest and they can be allocated for a greater good for the good of others for the good of creation uh, for the good of the world the temptation with more resources is to use them for my greater good. Um, mm. The call is to use them for the greater opportunity of the even greater good um, of others. The difficulty is, what kind of person do I need to be in order to allocate those resources in a godlike way and that's where the difficulty arises because i am not the sort of person who will allocate the abundant resources that are available to me uh, in ways for the greater good on the whole that's my experience i want i want well, to do you know what i think we have here i that. think we have I think we have here an absolutely spectacular launchpad for next week's discussion. Uh, and if we go too much further down this track, we'll actually start to cover the territory that, that is allocated to us for next mm. week. So it's, a, it's not, a res, not a resolution, but I think we need to try and wrap it up so that, so that we can... That's all we have uh, time for, although there's a lot more to say. Uh, while we have a nice segue to our next topic, let's stop this recording and... Um, prepare our thoughts for the for next week's uh, discussion um to you our dear listener thank you for for listening in and um please send any thoughts you have to us at sabbath school from home at gmail.com and uh please join us again next week